Our gospel reading for today is the proclamation of John the Baptist. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruler of the region Ituraia and Trachonitis and Licinia ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Ananas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Closer to home with inspiration from a, a, a series produced by Sanctified Art. I want to build on the theme of home that we started with last Sunday. And last Sunday, we reflected a little bit on what it was like to truly feel at home somewhere, what it, what it really feels like, and how good that feeling was comparable uh, to, well, perhaps other things that we might feel, uh, but also how comparable it is to the love of God, that this truly feeling at home is another way of expressing what God's love is like, that God does indeed make us feel at home no matter where we are. And then we named how hard it was to truly feel at home in different places and communities, even in our own skin, because our homes, whether that be our own bodies or the world or any size in between, are not perfect. And they leave us feeling a bit homesick, what we talked about as pain about home. And we have pain about home knowing that, hoping that one day things will be better at home. And we wish that more people could indeed have more opportunities to feel at home. So we acknowledge though how tough it was. As Christians, we aim to make a brighter tomorrow for our places of home, wherever it is that we do call home, whoever it is that that might be with. And as Christians, we hope to be open to the ways that God is making our homes a little more hopeful, a little more peaceful and joyful at that. We also hope to be open to the ways that God is doing that for others and creating space for a home for them. So sanctified art called today's theme of this message, called it laying the foundation. So you can easily see kind of the home, the house kind of imagery that that is referencing there. But just before this initial step of, of house building comes something else. Before laying the foundation, you need to make sure that, well, you have space to put it. You need to make sure that it is a good place to build a home. So if I were naming today's message all over again, if I had another do-over to uh, uh, making the bulletin, uh, I'd simply name this message Keeping Space. And so let me tell you why. Now, I want to start off here with recognizing how well Andrew did reading scripture for today. Uh, this scripture passage was not the one that was listed in the bulletin. So 
there's another reason why I want to redo this bulletin again. I was led to preach on something else entirely. It wasn't from Luke chapter one that Andrew was reading. It was Luke chapter three. Now, it might be a scripture reader's worst nightmare to have the pastor change what they're going to read on the morning of worship. And on top of that, change it to a passage that has a list of 2,000-year-old names that are really, really hard to say. So sorry about that, Andrew. But I am so glad that you were here to set an example for all of us present and future scripture readers, because that was a really brave thing to do. So thank you for that. But here's the thing, too, with that. When scripture lists out names that are really hard to pronounce and a whole bunch of them in one clip, it's usually for a good reason. And that reason is not to make scripture readers look silly. In Luke 3, it's made to set a scene. Now, we're a bit out of order here because at this particular time, Jesus had already been born. In fact, he already grew up. All of that stuff was in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And so here we are in three, and at this particular time in the gospel, Jesus had, had already grown up, and a reset button is being pressed here. They're, they're kind of doing a, another, another opening to this gospel, because here we're getting ready to introduce uh, grown-up John the Baptist, and then a couple verses later, grown-up Jesus to begin his ministry on earth. So this is a big deal, a really big deal to reintroduce and get the details right. Now, God was about to be revealed into the world in a completely new and unique way that had never been seen before and will never really be seen like that again. And where might one think this glorious, holy thing would originate? Well, maybe you would think that the new revelation of God would, would start from maybe a big city or a capital or from a very, very important and powerful person like Emperor Tiberius or Pontius Pilate, or maybe other leaders like Herod or Philip or Licinius. After all, Roman leaders were said to be gods on earth themselves, chosen by gods to be leaders. So perhaps God would be revealed through these really important people at this time. Or maybe God would be revealed through leaders of the temple, high priests, holy men themselves, Annas and Caiaphas. They were holy men already. Perhaps they would be the one spreading God's new word around. So notice how Luke is setting things up here for Jesus to come in, or rather for John the Baptist to come in first. All of these important people and places who were in different ways said to be holy already, were named one after another after another. And finally, after a long verse and a half, it says, and so the word of God came to none of those people, none of those places. No, the word of God came to some guy named John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, not even in a city, in the wilderness. Not the emperor in Rome, not the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem, but a guy that no one's heard of in the middle of nowhere. It's really quite funny if you read it that way. It's really quite funny how off script God goes here. God starts this world-changing event in a completely unexpected way. And I think that right there, God's ability to surprise us is such an important thing to remember about this story that we've heard so often. Because we can so easily forget 
that God can surprise us in the first place. Part of the reason is that routine and tradition are such important parts of our faith. We come to church, we do church things, we know what to, to expect when the pastor doesn't mess up the bulletin. We sing, we pray, we teach, and we worship in largely the same ways week after week. Now, routine and tradition can be wonderful things. They can root us in our identity as a community and make us who we are as Edgeboro. They can serve as a very meaningful expression of faith. They can help us do many things quickly. I mean, how else would we be able to pull together an organized event like worship week after week if it was not for some kind of routine to fall back on? But routine and tradition can also cause us to remain static in our thoughts. We think that if we're doing the same things for God, then God must be doing the same things through us. And so we expect God to show up in certain ways, ways that we're familiar with, calling us to pray in ways that we're familiar with and, and believe the things that we have heard and are familiar with and do the same events and ministries too. But God is a God of God's own self. And we see in the gospel, God can show up in whatever way God pleases, not just in the ways that we expect or are used to. And so Advent reminds us that we need to allow room or keep space for God to be God. Keep space for new ideas and new ways of doing things to remain open to changes, to make room for the unexpected. All this is easier said, and said than done, which is why the intentional effort of just letting God be God and not a God that we expect, well, that's been something Christians have been working on for centuries. Now, over the last year plus, when so much has been turned upside down, I learned a prayer that helped me change up my routine prayer patterns and, and keep space for how God was truly present and interacting with me, not just the ways in which I wanted God to or thought God to be, but truly how God was interacting with me. And I believe I introduced this prayer at some point when we were regularly worshiping outside, but it's a little, that was a little while ago, and it's, still, it's certainly fitting to reintroduce here. So I just wanted to remind you of it just in case you, you need it to, to help you remain focused and more open to God. It's simple, but I'm not exactly expecting you to remember it after, after hearing about it just once. And so if you, if you would like to remember it, write it down in your bulletin, watch back this part of the YouTube video at this particular time, uh, or ask me again later. This prayer, is a centuries-old prayer and is attributed to Julian of Norwich, a mystic in England who was alive around the same time as John Huss. Though they probably never met, they were both still alive about 600 years ago. It's a contemplative prayer, meaning that it's, it's less about the words that you speak to God and more about just the time that you spend being with God. So it's closer, I guess, to meditation than it would be to liturgy. The prayer has four stages, each of which you just spend time in thinking about God in a different way. And those four stages are simply just four words, await, allow, accept, and attend. 
Await, allow, accept, and attend. You await for God to arrive just as God arrives. You allow God to speak however God wants to speak. You accept what God offers and you claim it as your own. And then you attend to what God calls you to do. Now, sometimes there are body motions that go with this prayer, but it's really the time in silence, the time that you spend with God while cycling through these four stages of prayer, spending time with each of those stages, and then going back and doing it all over again, much like you would like circuit training during a workout at the gym. You just keep going and cycling through, taking the time you need at each step. Await, allow, accept, and attend. Await, allow, accept, attend. I offer that to you for what it's worth, but I think, I think it's a wonderful prayer that has helped me keep space the best way that I can for God to truly be God's self with me. Julian of Norwich had a deep understanding of what Advent reminds us of each year that God isn't always going to show up in the places and people that we expect. There is more to God than what we have come to know, which means that God is going to show up in unexpected ways. And so as Christians who want to feel God's love, who want to feel at home with God, and who want that for others too, may we keep space and remain open to the ways God is working toward that in the world today. Amen. in Christ and of faith. May your hearts and minds have space and be open to the words, actions, callings, and will of the one who has, who is, and who will bring hope, peace, joy, and love, not just to us, but to the world. So go in that peace to love and serve our Lord. Amen. <laughs>